Section 98 of Egypt, Africa, and Arabia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The World's Story, Volume 3, Egypt, Africa, and Arabia, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 98. Justice in Arabia. 19th Century. By Colonel L. Ducoré. After the evening prayer, I took my way to the tower, calling by the way on Said Ahmed, with whom, in our late ramble, I had arranged for an early meeting. Sidi, said I, addressing him, I was going to avail myself this evening of your invitation to visit you whenever convenient to myself. But Said Abdel Rahman, having sent word that he expects me after the evening prayer, I called to say that I must defer that pleasure until another time. It so happens, rejoined Said Ahmed, that I too am going to the tower, for tonight the Nagib sits there in judgment. Every second night after the last prayer the Nagib dispenses justice to the Maribes, and this is an evening for the session of a Messour tribunal. I proceeded with him to the tower where we found the Nagib seated upon his cushions at the door of the vestibule. There, surrounded by his chiefs and a crowd of retainers, he rendered important decisions while smoking his chicha. The audience was a large one, for Said Abdel Rahman was very popular with his people, owing in great measure to his accessibility to all. Mussulman, Sabian, or Jew, provided only he was of the country, enjoyed the privilege of access to him at all times to state his case, on which the Nagib at once rendered justice by a decree based upon equity as well as common sense. Said Ahmed took the place reserved for him among the members of the tribunal, while for myself, after the interchange of the usual compliments, the Nagib ordered a chibouk to be brought, which he lighted and presented to me with his own hands. Curious to witness an example of the justice of the country, I took up the most convenient position for seeing and hearing, as the audience commenced. There were women who complained of ill-treatment on the part of their husbands, men who accused their wives of frailty, divisions of inheritance to adjust, thefts and frauds to punish, among all which cases there were two particularly remarkable for the judgments rendered upon them. The first of these cases was one between a katib and a fallah, that is, a writer and a peasant. The wife of the latter having been taken away from him by the former, who maintained that he had a claim upon her. The woman declined to acknowledge either the one or the other of them as her husband, or rather she acknowledged them both, a view of the case which rendered it decidedly embarrassing. Having heard both sides and reflected a moment, the Nagib said addressing the claimants, Leave this woman here, and return in half an hour, on which the Khatib and Falah made their salutations and retired. The second case was between a Fakay and a Zibdai or in other words, a fruiterer and a butter merchant, the latter very much besmeared with butter, the former clean. The fruiterer said, I had been to buy some butter from this man and drew out my purse full of money to pay for the butter he had put in my gaula. When tempted by the sight of the coins, he seized me by the wrist. I cried, Thief! But he would not let me go. And thus have we come before you, I squeezing my money in my hand and he grasping my wrist with his. And now by Muhammad, our great prophet, I swear that this man lies in saying that I have stolen his money, for that money is truly mine. The butter merchant said, This man came to buy a gula of butter from me. And when I filled it, he said, Hast thou change of an Abu Mathfa? 
a Spanish piaster. I searched my pocket, from which I drew out my hand full of money, which I placed upon the sill of my shop, from which he snatched it, and was going off with my butter and my money, when I seized him by the wrist and cried, Thief! But in spite of my cries he refused to return my property to me, and I have brought him hither, in order that you may judge between us. And now by Mohammed our great prophet I swear that this man lies in saying I have stolen his money, for that money is truly mine. The Nagib caused the complainants to repeat their charges twice, but neither of them varied from his first statement. Then he said after a moment's reflection, Leave this money here and return in half an hour, on which the fruiterer, who had all along kept his hold of the money, deposited it in a wooden bowl, brought by one of the guards, and both complainants, having made their salutations, retired. When they were gone, the Nagib quitted his seat at the door of the vestibule and went up into the fourth story of the tower, taking with him the woman and money in dispute. At the appointed moment he returned with them and went calmly back to his seat. The parties interested were all present, and the Khatib and Fala were called up. Here, said the Nagib, addressing the Khatib, take thy wife and lead her away, for she is thine truly. Then turning to his guards and pointing to the Fala, he said, Give this man fifty blows of a korbash on the soles of his feet. The Khatib walked off with his wife, and the guards gave the fellah fifty blows of a korbash on the soles of his feet. Next came the fruiterer and the butter merchant in their turn. Here, said the Nagib to the fruiterer, here is thy money. Verily didst thou take it from thine own purse, and never did it belong to him by whom thou art accused. Then turning to his guards and pointing to the butter merchant, he said, Give this man fifty blows of a korbash on the soles of his feet. The fruiterer walked off with his money, and the guards gave the butter merchant fifty blows of a kerbosh on the soles of his feet. When the court had risen, I asked the Nagib how he ascertained that the woman was the wife of the Khatib, and the money the property of the fruiterer. Nothing more simple, replied he. You saw how I went up into the fourth story with the woman and the money. But when we arrived there, I ordered her suddenly to clean my inkhorn, when, like one accustomed to that work, she at once took it, drew out the cotton from it, washed it properly, replaced it on the stand, and filled it with fresh ink. Then I said to myself, if you were the wife of the Falah, you never could have cleaned an inkhorn like that. You must be the wife of the Khatib. Good, said I, bowing in token of assent. So much for the woman. And how about the money? The money was quite another business, replied the Nagib, smiling with a self-satisfied expression as he leered at me with a look full of artfulness and craft. You must have remarked how buttery the butter merchant was, and how greasy his hands were in particular. Well, I put the money into a vessel of hot water, and upon examining the water carefully I could not find that a single particle of grease had come to the surface. Then I said to myself, this money belongs to the fruiterer, and not to the butter merchant, for had it belonged to the latter it must have been greasy, and the grease would have shown on the surface of the water. At this I bowed very low indeed, and said in good faith, I doubt whether the great King Solomon himself could have rendered a decision with more sagacity and wisdom. Until then I had always looked upon the tales related to us in the Arabian Nights as mere fictions, but on witnessing the delivery of these two judgments I felt convinced that some of them at least were founded on facts. Of course they are worked up into romances, but they have a basis of reality. End of section 98 Recording by Philip Gould